Welcome, everyone. This is the Chief Yuya podcast. New listeners, old listeners, you know, those who just stumbled, you know, welcome into the space. Let's get right into it. So there's been a lot of conversation lately I've been seeing around the idea or the experience and the uh, unfortunate phenomenon that many of us have within the cultural networks of scammers. Uh, There's been some scammers who have been uh, found out and exposed and there's been some who are still what we could say speculative scammers and then you have uh, your operative scammers and uh, often I see people have a it's a really a polarizing subject in terms of what one is to do uh, when someone is found out to be a scammer or they're suspected of scamming but yet and still they still have uh, information and sometimes our fascination and our our level of uh, just awe and amazement at information urges us internally to overlook uh, the integrity and the moral character and value of a person who we feel has uh, possibly consistently uh, brought demise to ourselves and people's or people around us by scamming us out of our currency, which usually that's what they're looking for, fiat currency. And I'm not going to mention any names. Uh, I'm sure many of you are well versed in a lot of the people within the cultural networks, which I don't consider myself to necessarily be a part of, who have uh, been found out to be scammers, charlatans, snake oil salesmen and all around scumbags. So let's get into why you fall in. You, you keep falling for that. Why is it that you're always willing to invoke that aspect of your good churchical ideation and not judge why does that keep coming back up well programming of course right programming is a very serious thing in our communities uh if you want to call it that and and the programming that many of us suffer from is the programming of the zombie so we move through the world in a very durational sense uh, without a whole lot of critical thought, uh, without a whole lot of comparative research, and especially with not a without a whole lot of dedication to self-ownership. So it's very easy for individuals to come in who have maybe put in a little bit more effort than we have to research a certain subject and uh, memorize the facts of that subject and present themselves as an authority of sorts. And the messianic spirit within us all clamps onto them. But here's an important thing. You know, your Messiah is supposed to raise you. You know, a Messiah leads you and takes you out of your current situation and your current ordeal into a better one. You know, that's the idea of of, of a Messiah, one that now comes to deliver you. And, and of course, you know, in an allegorical sense, in an allegorical legend, we see the standpoint and we see the 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 spark of what Messiahs represents through, through different experiences that different people have had. And those figurative stories give us an idea of what it is that we can become when we're able to touch or we're able to ignite the fire that lives inside of us all. And then that light raises up, you know, very similar to when you read the the, the uh, Holy Quran and you read uh, Al-Nur, which is that surah. Al-Nur just means the light. Nur is light. Al is the or the divine aspect of, you know, so Al-Nur is the divine aspect of light. But what it really speaks about 
in that particular surah is how Elah is able to take the lamp, you know, that uh, is in a glass and through that lamp, you know, that shining star is able to bless the world, is able to um, to bring fire, is able to bring light. But it, it's it's a really it's a it's a parable that's speaking about knowing. It's a parable that's speaking about knowledge. See, that lamp is knowledge. So Al Nur, which is a, which is an energy and an archetype that lives inside of all of us, is that aspect of or that manifestation of divine light. You see, so sometimes people will come with semblances of Al Nur, semblance of that divine light, and we grasp on to them, not realizing that maybe what they have and what they're bringing is not the fullness. And the completeness of what we need in order to be lifted out of our situation. You see, see, a tree is known by the fruit that it bears. And even when you read that surah and it tells you that, you know, the light is 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 the blessed olive tree. You know, it's speaking about something that something bears that becomes a blessing, not a curse, but the, but that becomes fruitful to those who are around it or those who are able to partake in it doesn't scam you doesn't rip you off doesn't take advantage of you doesn't manipulate you but rather is fruitful to you you see that's real light there's all different forms of light now you have nur you have just light then you have al nur you have divine light you see, so there's, there's a difference, you know, there's a difference between information or knowledge that could possibly considered, be considered dead and, and information and knowledge that is divine and living. And sometimes in our deadened state or our zombified state, it's very difficult for us to distinguish between the two or the living light becomes an irritant and it no longer feels like a blessing because of the way that we're moving on this earth so we begin to worship people who specialize in robbing their own of correct knowledge they bring knowledge but they don't bring correct knowledge they 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 bring the idea of um a messianic spirit but they don't actually bring the messianic spirit because the truth is it's light upon light that's the idea of al-nur we're functioning through a system of light upon light. Now, what does that mean? That means the light that's in me touches the light that's in you. And we spark one another. See, that sharing is a very important aspect and a very important key in all of this. It's not just one person is holding that light and everyone comes towards them like a mob and, and is devoured, you know, by that mob. Because, see, that's the very interesting thing about a mob. In all the years of its of its evolution... That has been able to evolve its form and, and evolve its idea of what it is and evolve for survival purposes. It has yet to evolve to know when it's going into a bug zapper or know a candle or know a light bulb from the sun. So it still has that mechanism in it, that zombified mechanism in it that brings it towards the light. That's not really the actual real light that it really wants, which is the sunlight. But that light actually kills it. You see, there's something in it that still has not. There's a switch that has not been turned on inside of your everyday moth. If you don't believe me, just, you know, at nighttime, 
turn on a light and leave your window open, open up the screen and see what happens. Right. So the sparking has to happen between individuals. It's very similar to what uh, Method Man said in the song, the, um, the what, you know, when he said, um, and ninjas love it, not in the physical form, but in the mental, I spark and they cells get warm. Right. So he's saying, you know, when I spark, I'm warming up your cells, but not physically, but your mental cells. So I'm sharing what I'm sharing or I'm giving what I'm giving. And it's and if I have a gift for this information, I spoke to you guys before about spiritual gifts. If you can't give it, it's not a gift. We always say this person has a gift for this. This person has a gift for that. If it's a gift, it can be shared, not just displayed so you can look at it and say, wow, that's beautiful. But I can say here, take this. See, that's a gift. See, right now I have gems inside of me. And as I'm speaking to you and you're listening, I'm giving you these gems. So the gifts that the gift that has been given to me, I'm giving to you. That's a that's a real gift. That's a gift. You see, so that sparking or that collective movement of sparking has to happen. Right now, you'll notice with scammers, they don't do that. They speak in a way where either they'll continue to speak beyond where you're at or they'll speak in a speak in a way where you can never truly have what it is that they have. They make you think they're the greatest this, I'm the most requested that, uh, I'm hyper intelligent, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that. Or they'll let you say those things about them and they won't correct you and say, wait up, no, no, no. Let me let me fix you on that. I'm I'm not your spot, your messiah. I just came like the movie Quest for Fire. I'm just carrying fire. I'm just I'm like Prometheus. That's all. I, I have fire from the gods and I'm just giving you this gift of fire that's all i'm doing you see a lot of times if we don't know how to recognize how knowledge come we get very confused you see and sometimes we don't know know our own state we don't know where we're beginning we don't understand or know our 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 starting point so therefore when people start presenting what knowledge is supposed to be in front of us we get excited i give you a great example every time i see a post on social media with someone celebrating some young child 12 13 14 years old who has either just completed school at the collegiate level or has been accepted to school and there's so much praise usually those children are homeschooled because you know we, we do a better job when we homeschool our children but there's so much praise because they've been inducted into universities and, and schools of, of higher miseducation. But a minute ago, we were speaking about how much we want to separate from the from the barbarism and the ideology of a system that has historically and consistently sought to curse us and rob us and uncivilize us and dim our light and oppress us. And we recognize that this system is ran by a sophisticated Science, But then we take our children or we take ourselves even we post pictures of ourselves graduating and we glorify in our ability or, or in our opportunities to become geneticists or biologists or historians or, or anthropologists or engineers for a society and for a system 
that is systematically robbed us of our correct knowledge. So when we're inducting our children into those spaces, what are we inducting them into? What are we actually celebrating? Now, it's just it's just my my observation, but it's valid. But it's my observation, so I'm not putting it on anyone else. But what I can say is that in our sleeping state, we get really confused in our sleeping state and our sleeping state. We don't know what the right knowledge is supposed to be, and we don't know how to get the proper grip that will awaken us out of our sleep. So anything will do, any alarm will do. So we think. But when you're moving with a certain type of structure, there's only a certain way to wake you up. And the reality is Western education is not going to be the messianic tool to awaken an Eastern mind. It's just not going to happen. You're going to stay asleep and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you how far you're going to stay asleep. Let me give you a great example. We've recognized that in times long ago, or not too long ago, that um, those of us who identify as melanoid and melanoid, especially in the West, uh, we had families. There was time. There was a time when we were building certain things and we were aiming and striving towards a certain reclamation of what we considered to be marvelous in our own sight. And then there was a time when that completely dropped off. And one of the things that we recognize if we look back, you know, like we say hindsight is twenty twenty, and we look back at, at, you know, what things were like before we decided to totally give up and come under the rule of, of those who are wicked and unjust. What we've determined was that before we chose to integrate, we were on a track that could have possibly led us to our actual rise again or the reclamation of our actual rise again. You see, so what was one of the things that derailed that? Of course, integration, but more importantly, being trained and educated by the individual, the same individuals who kept who kept us hellbound. You know, there was a really informative um, little booklet that I purchased some years back. That I'm sure you could probably get for free online now. You know, everything, that's the beauty of where we are today. Everything you can get online for free. But it, it what it outlined was um, a conference that was held in uh, Lake Mahonk and around 1890, or really between 1890 and 1895. And there were different conferences you had. Um, but essentially, I'm not going to get too crazy into it as far as the, the background of the conference itself. But essentially, there was a, uh, a group of statesmen and, and senators and just, you know, politicians and, and people who were prominent and in power at that time. And they came together on uh, what they called the Negro question. OK, uh, the Negro question. And this was, like I said, around June of 1890. And it went through um, there were several con- conferences that went through. 1895 and you know when they got together at Lake Lake Mahonk there was something that they were discussing and it was essentially what do we do with these Negroes who have now been quote-unquote freed you know as of 1865 through 1867 right so there was 1890 now we're, we're looking at you know what do we do with these people and more so not 
because they're just sitting around not doing anything. But how do we continue to extract the human resource? How do we continue to keep them zombified now that they've been physically liberated? So there was a conference held. And this is, you know, in, in New York, up this is, you know, upstate New York. There were several conferences held and essentially, and you can, you can probably find the transcript. I, I, cause I, I have the actual transcript. That's what I bought, um, some years back. But like I said, you know, everything is so easy to get now. But, um, essentially what they determined was that what we need to do is to train them to be ministers, teachers, and craftspeople. So this is where you you begin to get the the ideas and the concepts around the emergence of some of your schools in the South, all of your your A and M schools, your agricultural and mechanic schools. You know, um, these were schools that were you know a lot of times I know it, it may burst some bubbles, but you know it's only the bubbles of, of those who've decided not to research uh, a lot of times when we talk about hbcus or historically black um schools colleges and universities we sometimes think like there were some melanoid folks who got together and and created this huge networks of schools throughout the south and sometimes we don't understand what their original cause and what their original purpose was for those schools, some of those schools were actually established to educate the children of the Caucasian men who had children with the now uh, liberated black women. You see, so back then, you know, as they would call them, whether you want to call them mixed race, they called them something different back then. But these schools were established to educate those particular children. And then we're opened up to a wider audience, not because of progress, but because it was it was shown that there was a great tool here that could be used in order to keep the people under control or to keep the 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 Negroes. We're going back to the Negro question under control. For example, for example, I was speaking to someone recently because it was a homecoming, the Howard homecoming. A good friend of mine was there and he was talking about it and or, or, or promoting it, something, something he was doing. And he was talking to me about it. And I said, yeah, man, I said, you about to go uh, celebrate old, old Odeo, you know, old Otis. And he was like, what you talking about? I said, Otis, Oliver Otis Howard. I said, that, that's who your, your school is named after. And um, he was like, yeah, I, I heard that. You know, I know the name. But I said, I mean, you know who the person was. You know, and I guess he never really gave it any any real thought. Too busy partying and <laughs> having fun on on Howard's campus. But I said, yeah, he was a war general. You know, um, you know Oliver Oliver Howard. That's who your your school was actually um, named after. You know, so um, and he worked. You know, he was a he was a general who was in the Union Army. But um, a lot of times we have this perception and this idea that we're educating ourselves, you see, but without realizing that you just have a darkened or a black faced version of plantation education. You go to these these colleges and universities and you're not going to anything other than a glorified high school. That's essentially what it is, because you're not learning the deeper level of things. You're not learning the actual information that would raise you out of your zombified state. That's something that is strategically and sophisticated, sophisticatedly kept from you. You see, 
So you're not getting that kind of information. You're getting the kind of information that makes you more amenable to integrate into something that is keeping you zombified. You see, so great example. Individuals who come out of those universities and more importantly, who glorify them. That's really what I'm speaking about, because we all come through different sides of the mountain. So uh, I myself um, have gone to higher, you know, going through higher learning. So I'm not going to say that, you know, if you go to higher learning, you're lost. I'm not going to say that because I'm not lost. However, I was very clear on what I was doing. I was very, very clear that I I need not be there. I didn't want to be there. Even that I didn't even want to be in high school. <laughs> you know, I was very clear on what it was the entire time. Okay. It's not something that I look back on with great fondness, but I, I always lament sometimes even the scars that came from that level of education. Some of the, that the, the systematic habits that I still have to, to work to break until to this day. Some habits that people would, would, would praise me for. But I see them as something different. You see. So you'll find that individuals who come to those those institutions, there's one thing that you'll never hear them talk about. The ones who really glorify them. They'll never talk about separation. They'll never talk about segregation. They'll never talk about actively and operatively self-sufficiency and doing for yourself. You won't hear that. And I don't mean starting a business using someone else's matrix structure and paradigm, um, which barely highlights, you know, the differences between the way you do things and the way they do things, you know, but you're really just creating structures that are interwoven into the very structure that um, you are supposed to be constructing a mental, a miraculous cerebral throne that would take you out of it. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying those who really say we're not just going to create another version of what someone else has, but we're actually going to disconnect and unplug. You see, we're going to actually unplug from what these other people and systems have given us. You'll never hear that. So you, you begin to see that there are certain institutions that are established to take the messianic energies that are inside of people and to bring them down to a certain level immediately. You see certain genius. Oh, we got to recruit that. Well, come over here. Sometimes you see these social media posts of all these genius children, you know, in different parts of the continent. And they're building instruments and radio stations and solar panels. And this remember one young young man was building. He built like two helicopters in Nigeria from old car parts, abandoned car parts. You don't think he was snatched up? You don't think MIT said, oh, come here? Because actually MIT did bring him across. But you don't think they, they then said, okay, you know what? You can come permanently. Because we, we're not going to let you stay with this level of genius that could create serious change for you. We're not going to let you stay there in Nigeria. No, no, no. You got to come over here with us. You see? So we go through these seasoning experiences that we sometimes call educational experiences or integrative experiences that actually put the Messiah and the light in us out into sleep. And it takes someone who's still sparking, who's still fiery to just touch us in a certain way to raise that flame back up. I 
urge you all to read that transcript. I urge you all to do that about the Negro question, the Negro question, you know, uh, get Negro coming from Necro, N-E-C-R-O, Necro. Now, why was Necro so important? Why was Necro even used? Well, let's look at some of, um, I, I think, a, a good a good example is if we look at um, messianic figure, right? Uh, now, we all know who was killed and, and and resurrected right raised from the dead you know days later right we we, we know the story of that person right uh, many of us um, kind of came up hearing the um, ideas and or, or the supremacy and symbolic teaching the story which of that story of you know an individual who was killed and then raised from the dead and of course I'm speaking about Hiram Abiff. Uh, I know I know who you thought I was talking about. <laughs> I know who you thought I was talking about, but he's not the only one. There's a bunch of them. <laughs> Hiram Abiff was set upon by ruffians, right? For any of you Masons are listening, you know what I'm talking about. Probably saying, no, 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 we can't talk about that. Can't talk about that. I'm not a Mason. All right. I don't care anything about your secret handshakes or your Dakota rings. Not interested. I've, I've been approached too many times to be recruited into Masonic lodges. Why do you think that is? <laughs> Take the ones who are sparking, put them through a training experience to dead the spark. But I, I've been all up in the mix for years, all up in the mix. I, I have a lot of brothers I know um, of all different hues that are Masons. And that I've been able to extract books, literature, information out of. And because of the work I do, the occult work that I do, it allows me access to libraries that many people would be shocked, <laughs> you know, that they even exist or, or would be shocked at some of the ways you got to you have to get to those libraries. Woo. But anyway, so we look at the idea of Hiram Abiff, right? And Hiram Abiff was essentially, he was a master mason and he was commissioned to build um, Solomon's temple, right? And long story short, you know, he was building the temple and everything was going well. And um, he was almost complete. He had almost completed the temple. And what happened is said that uh, 15 ruffians set upon him. And they said, you know, basically, if we... If we can basically jump Hiram, we can get his secrets. You know, we can get the secrets to actually how, you know, how he does what he does. And then we can earn the wages of a master mason. You know, that was their idea. Right. So essentially they surrounded him. You know, one night he was he was done working and, and doing what what he had to do. And um, and they surround him. Right. And, you know, one goes to the east gate, one goes to the north gate, you know, and um, one goes to the west gate. Right. And um, they they essentially just put a question before him and they said, you know, listen, you know, give us the secrets that are in your head. And Hiram, when he saw the setup, you know, he saw what was happening. He was like, listen, you know, he said to himself, like, I'd rather die before I give before I give these people the secret. 
I'd rather die before I give them the secret. Yeah, and and I know that's you know that's, that's some different kind of stuff because we love to put our lives on display, show and tell everything. We we love that. But anyway, so and, and Hiram was the son of a widow, by the way. You know, so we have that idea of the dead father. I mean, you know. You've, you've heard this story before if you i mean if you want to get a little deeper i mean it's the, my, again a lot of stuff that used to be secret isn't secret anymore so i mean you know i'm not really giving that much but back when i you know years ago uh when i was um much younger these were some top 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 secret stories and information you know before the advent of um you know um Household internet we'll say Because the internet existed since the 60s You know it was a militaristic tool Some might say it still is But anyway So they set up on Hiram right And You know he, he goes to To different gates And you know he goes to the first gate And they say you know the first one That was that was Jubala And he was like You know obligation he was like hey man you know give me give me the secrets basically you know and um Hiram was like no I'm not I'm not I'm not giving that to you so Jubala hits Hiram across the throat you know with the gauge and then the second one comes up and that's Jubalo you know and Jubalo asked him the same thing hey give me the secrets so Hiram was like no you know so he hits Hiram, you know, in like over his heart with the square. And the third one was Jubilim. And um, he was like, you know, of course, give me the secrets. And Hiram said no. So he hits Hiram in the forehead, kind of like David hitting Goliath. But he hits Hiram in the forehead with what we would call today a hammer. Or a hammer. They call it a, a mauling tool or, or a gavel was another name for it. A gavel. Now, where else have you seen a gavel? <laughs> All rise for the honorable rise. Hmm. You'll, you'll, you'll know why. So basically, they kill Hiram, right? And they bury him like in the rubble of the temple, right? Long story short, um, when later they said we'll bury him properly later, when later they come to bury him, his body's not there, right? So Solomon... You know, looking for, of course, his master builder, um, and he sees all the, all the confusion. He he's fearful, like oh, something happened to Hiram. So he sends out like twelve people to go look for Hiram, and then he joins three who who journey towards the east looking for Hiram, right? And when they find his body, his body is basically horizontal, and they say we need to raise him perpendicular to the square. So we need to raise his so you know he's perpendicular. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's so much here, but I'm, I'm trying to just stick to the point. <laughs> so much, so many gems here. Um, so essentially, they tried a couple of uh, grips on him to get him out. You know, um, they had to go up to the third degree. The first grip or the first handshake that that you it will experience in, in masonry is the Boaz grip, and then you have the uh, Yakin grip. Some people say Jakin, but it's not. It's Yakin grip and then the grip the third grip which they also call the the lion's paw you know um is also said with a certain um a certain word certain set of words mahabon you know that's said into the air you know when you're 
shaking the person's hand with that that lion grip. So anyway, so he says that into Hiram's grip, and Hiram is is raised from the dead. He becomes now perpendicular to the square. So essentially, what are we talking about here, right? I'm I'm saying this stuff real quick. There's so much information in these stories, right? He was hit in his head and killed in his head. He was hit between his heart, his throat, and his head. Think about those chakras. He was hit in the forehead. He was hit in the throat chakra. So he's hitting the brow chakra, the throat chakra, the heart chakra. And this is what put him to sleep. So was he physically asleep? No, he was mentally dead. He had lost his ability to feel. He had, he had lost his ability to think properly and correct based on the, on the values of what, what he, what he ultimately came with, which allowed him to be that master builder of, Sol- of Solomon's temple. What is Solomon's temple? I already did a show on this. Go into the archives, right? Solomon's temple, right? So when they came, you know, upon master builder Hiram Biff, they had those, those motives and objective of, of stealing the masterful information that he had inside of his head. But through his own integrity, he said, no, I would rather die than allow you to take the sacred geometry that exists inside of me. So it took a certain grip or a certain handshake. They call it a grip to raise him from the dead. And that particular grip, right, it's basically it connects or it touches all points. It's a five pointed grip. I won't get all into it, but it touches different points on your body like a star. (laughs) I'm just laughing. I just I love information <laughs> um, like a star. And that was that was what was used to resurrect or raise the light back up in him. OK, now what's important in that story is also the gates that they tried to block him from. Like I told you, the north, the east, the west. You see, that's those those are important pieces there, you know, just in terms of the story, because some say that those represent countries you know like yeah like america england france <laughs> but hey that's that's a whole nother thing anyway so our death and our zombification is in the mind it's in it's in our speaking in our words and it's in our heart and that's what we should be striving and sparking each other to raise up but it begins with our ability to respect our integrity and our integral value so what was done or what is done to keep you from once again being the leader, the leaders of the earth and standing perpendicular to the square? Well, you're given training in the form of um, collegiate or university level education or in the name of collegiate and university uh, level education. You're given folklore and, and mystical stories that keep you from understanding the, the the immortal aspect of your soul see you're not given the proper grip grip excuse me you're not given a proper grip at the five points that will resurrect you out of the grave of rubble that the ruffians have knocked you into you see and this this ruffians all about if we understand again what the interpretation you know we're talking about an allegorical story of course here and all of the the ideas that are put forth, you know, um, even the five superintendents, you know, that oversaw the continuing of the uh, the building of the temple because there was, there was a movement forward where Solomon had to continue to try to put 
his temple together. That's there's a whole nother direction that that level of information takes us into or the cremation and reburial of Hiram Abiff. You see. But let's let's get back to, you know, some again, the more important stuff and and this this idea of um, kind of losing our sense of of practice and our sense of customs and and our sense of of crafts that now begin to create a murderous design inside the people around us. So what happens is once we get to a place when our throat is silence or our words or silence, it's very difficult to carry out the responsibilities of the lords of the earth. It's very difficult to carry out our role and our responsibilities as those who are essentially functioning as gods on this planet, you know, or some might even say gods of the universe, you know, depending on how you would like to look at it and how you are able to interpret, interpret this idea of a God, you know, um, when you, when you look at, um, Chancellor Williams destruction of black civilizations and you know you begin to understand how we were systematically broken down and taken away from the strength of the spine or the character and the attributes of what we are or what we were as messianic individuals you start to understand the significance of those blows that were sent the vicious blows by the ruffians that were sent to Hiram Abiff. You start to understand why they were systematically given, you know, why there was a blow across the throat, why there was a blow across the chest, because, of course, that heart, that chest is it's vital. It's, it's one of your vital organs, but it, it it's the seat of what symbolically holds your divinity. So when you're able to do that, when you're able to, to dull the divinity, you're dulling the light or you're killing the light inside of someone. And now they become useless on the planet. If you don't have light inside of you, you, you serve absolutely no, no use. You see, so getting that hit across the chest or getting that hit across the heart chakra is the removal or the deadening of our light or of our divinity. Getting hit in the head or in the brow is... That was the death blow. Now, why is that the death blow? Because now you lost freedom of thought. That's what that symbolically represents, losing your ability to think freely. So now ignorance becomes what rules all over you because you've lost free thought. You've lost freedom. And now you can be ruled over and controlled. That's the death. Now, you think about any type of system that you may have gone through or may have even put your children through that could have possibly introduced those type of blows into their existence, losing their ability to speak clearly or to speak their own words or to speak their own language or to speak their, their own dies, their own ideas, losing their spiritual sense of divinity. Where they were clear on who they are, what they are, what their original mission is on the planet. In rebuilding or building Solomon's temple. Sol Omun, son of Amun, Amun-Ra. But building that temple. And then of course receiving that blow to the brain. Where now the secrets go to sleep. Because they're now buried in a rubble of ignorance. There's an important understanding of what 
surrounds a divine person and 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 this story and i'm not even this wasn't even i didn't plan on speaking about um hiram abiff but i it's relevant to what i'm speaking about (laughs) nonetheless and in the making of a slave if you will or the making of a dead person when you can create someone who becomes heartless someone who becomes godless or spiritless someone who becomes mindless mindless you know and what we're striving to do in all of this is to recapture the self-dignity bestowed upon us by our divine spark or our divine light and when we come across people who have that level of self-dignity who have that level of um of uprightness and perpendicularness perpendicularness <laughs> i don't think that's a word <laughs> But perpendicular standing, um, the importance that it, it that it is and that we not only receive the spark from them, but like Prometheus, we continue to carry the fire of that spark. So we really recognize the Al Nur aspect. You know, there's a great book by Acer Hilliard, Acer Hilliard um, entitled the, the Reawakening of the African Mind great book and it gives you again more more ideal and understanding of how different models are put into into place in order to keep and to instill and indoctrinate ones with a foreign and alien culture to remove the purity from them you see now there's a great importance there when we speak about indoctrination or doctrine we use the term doctrine a lot of course when we're speaking about um Churches, you know, or or any type of religious or spiritual organizations, we use the idea of doctrine. But see, when you have education and, and sometimes we make them synonymous with one another, but they're not because indoctrination or doctrine cannot resurrect you. It cannot raise you from the dead. Only education can. Because education or educar means to bring forth the genius, bring forth the hidden substance or the hidden genius that lies within inside of someone. See, that's education or educar. Indoctrination in, it means to put teaching inside, to put something inside of someone. So you can indoctrinate someone with poison. But if you were to educate someone you would you can pull the poison out of them but if you educate them with poison then you're indoctrinating them with poison so you know education only works one it's a, it's it only works in one direction it comes out it pu- it brings the best out it brings the purity out of a person it brings the enlightenment of the east out of a person but indoctrination puts your thoughts and your ideas and your fears and your sicknesses inside of that individual, therefore putting them to sleep. Because like I've said, and someone posted it recently, I saw a meme of, you know, I guess a a quotable, a chief quote. Sometimes I come across them and they quoted me when I said, there's only one way to trap a God and that's to make it human. So you bring them down to that base level because notice the chakras that were hit. Heart, throat, brow. So you bring them down to that human level of emotions and jealousy and ignorance and extortion and lies. All of the things that the ruffians use to set upon Hiram Abiff. And then you trap them in a zombified state, putting them to sleep. That has been a Chief Yuya broadcast. 
go to chiefyuya.com for schedule consultations listen to more podcasts and to overall just see what's going on and what's happening until such time peace